Palmolive soap, your beauty hope, and luster cream shampoo for soft, glamorous, caressable hair bring you Our Miss Brooks, starring Eve Arden. <laughs> After teaching English to the summer school students of Madison High all week long, last Saturday didn't arrive a minute too soon for Our Miss Brooks. Generally, the thing I like best about Saturday is that it gives me a full 12 hours to speculate upon just how boring Sunday will be. <laughs> but last Saturday, while I was having breakfast with my landlady, Mrs. Davis, a bombshell was hurled into our usual routine. That's the front doorbell, isn't it, Connie? Bell is an overstatement, Mrs. Davis. It used to be a bell years ago. Now it sounds like a dying rattlesnake with a frog in its throat. <laughs> I wonder who it can be, anyway. All right, I'm coming. Maybe you shouldn't answer it, Connie. I've had the strangest feeling of foreboding all morning. Well, that's silly, Mrs. Davis. It might be good news. Why? Well, why should it be bad news? Why not? <laughs> Let's have the playoffs when I come back. Good morning. I have a telegram here for a Mrs. Davis. Are you a Mrs. Davis? I'm not a Mrs. Anything yet. <laughs> Don't tell me I've delivered this telegram to the wrong address. Why, well, I've never been guilty of that in all my years in the service. Well, far be it for me to depress one of our boys in uniform. This is Mrs. Davis's house, all right. I just live with her. Miss Brooks is the name. How do you do? I'm Herbie Terwilliger. That's my bike at the curb. <laughs> Glad to know both of you. <laughs> now, if you'll give me your receipt book, I'll sign for the wire. All right, here you are, Miss Brooks. Bottom line, please. All right. Yes, I've been in the service quite a while now. This is my sixth hitch. Really? Never been a plain foot messenger. Always been with the bicycle squad. <laughs> that sounds healthy. Of well... course, uh, during my long term of duty, I've made a host of friends both in and out of the service. I imagine you have. Now, if you'll just Of course, I've lost a few of my buddies, too. Good, hard-peddling boys, all of them. I'm sorry, Herbie. Yes, I always think of them when I hear ghost riders in the sky. <laughs> that song cheers me up, too. I'll take this telegram into Mrs. Davis now. Goodbye, Herbie. Oh, this isn't goodbye, Miss Brooks. This wire has immediate reply requested printed on it. I'll just wait here on the porch until Mrs. Davis gives me an answer. All right, I'll try to hurry it up for you. I'll appreciate that. I have a slow leak in my rear tire. <laughs> I'll be back in plenty of time to get it vulcanized. <laughs> Mrs. Davis, it's for you. What is it, dear? This telegram. <gasps> oh, I knew it. I knew something terrible was going to happen today. Terrible? But you haven't even opened it yet. And I'm not going to open it, Connie. I've only received half a dozen telegrams in my entire life, and they all brought bad news. This is probably some horrible news about Mrs. Dribbleman. Mrs. Dribbleman? Yes. She went to Switzerland for a vacation. I warned her not to go. She probably fell off one of those Alps. Oh, now, really, Mrs. Davis I'm psychic about these things, Connie Poor Mrs. Dribbleman 
I can just picture her skiing down the Alps, not a care in the world. Suddenly, a treacherous curve. She can't make the turn in time. Over the rim she goes. She looks down, nothing but rocky crags, jagged peaks. Why, Connie, you, you're not touching your breakfast. Suddenly, I'm not hungry. <laughs> but aren't you going to finish your wheat cakes? Not until you get Mrs. Dribbleman off those peaks. <laughs> I just remembered, Connie. Mrs. Dribbleman took my advice and decided not to go to Switzerland. She's feeling, she's feeling fine. Well, I'm glad to hear it. I don't want to rush you, Mrs. Davis, but this wire calls for an immediate reply. Look, right here on the envelope. Let's see. Immediate reply requested. Well, I'm sorry, but I... Wait a minute, Connie. Look where this telegram was sent from. Through this cellophane here. Doesn't that say Springdale? Springdale? Yes, it does. Why? That's where Uncle Corky lives. Or maybe now I should say lived. Oh. <laughs> Poor Uncle Corky. He was always so fond of me. He was my mother's oldest brother, you know. We were very close. I'll bet he was just like an uncle to you. <laughs> Look, Mrs. Davis, aren't you being a little prematurely mournful? After all, you don't know that he's Oh, not... but he must be. He was 87 years old on his last birthday, and he's had the hives for years. <laughs> well, maybe he'll outgrow them. When I think of how Uncle Corky used to play Santa Claus every Christmas, the kids at Madison, the faculty, everybody loved him. You remember him, don't you, Connie? Of course, Mrs. Davis. He's been coming here every Christmas for years. Here, I'll open this wire and tell you what it says. No, Connie, no. I won't let you open it. Why should you be the one to bring me bad news? But, Mrs. Davis... I could never again look at you without associating you with Uncle Corky's passing. I like you too much to allow such a tragic bridge to come between us, Connie. I'll do anything to avoid it. Oh, but this is ridiculous, Mrs. Davis. Once I've opened it, you'll see how ridiculous... Today is rent day, Connie. If you leave it unopened, I'll... Well, I won't charge you for this week. Mrs. Davis, I wouldn't open this telegram if you begged me. <laughs> you promise, Connie? I swear it on this stack of wheat cakes. I know. There's a messenger outside waiting for the immediate reply. I'll ask him to open it. Wait here, Mrs. Davis. Oh, Herbie, would you come inside a minute, please? Oh, sure. Got the answer, Miss Brooks? Not yet. Uh, this is Mrs. Davis, Herbie. Mrs. Davis, this is Herbie Terwilliger. Oh, pleased to meet you. How do you do? Mrs. Davis is a little superstitious about opening telegrams, Herbie. Would you mind? Me? Yes, just open it up, will you? But I can't. That's the first rule I learned in basic training. Thou shalt not monkey with the messages. <laughs> I don't want you to monkey with it. Just open it. I'm sorry, Miss Brooks, but I can't touch it. Can't we forget about it for now? Forget about it? But what'll I tell my CO? This is an Im immediate reply requested. Can't you just tell him there is no reply? What? Me tell the chief there is no reply? Please, Mrs. Davis. That is tantamount to telling the Admiral, sir, there are no boats. <laughs> I don't care about the Admiral. I'm going to have another cup of coffee and think this thing over. I'll put enough on for all of us. All right, Mrs. Davis. Why doesn't she want to open the telegram, Miss Brooks? I'm afraid it's sheer superstition with her, Herbie. Oh, pardon me. 
if it isn't Walter Denton. Hiya, Miss Brooks. Come in, Walter. What are you doing up so early on a Saturday? Oh, I just came by to see if there are any odd jobs I could do for Mrs. Davis. You know, to pick up a little pin money. Well, I don't know about Mrs. Davis, but I'll give you a few pins if you'll do something for me. Come into the living room, will you? You know I'm your slave, Miss Brooks. What is it? You can open the telegram. The telegram? Yes. Brought by Herbie Terwilliger here when he was a much younger man. <laughs> Herbie, this is Walter Denton. I'm glad to know you, I'm sure. Hi. Uh, but I don't get it, Miss Brooks. Why don't you open it? Because it belongs to Mrs. Davis, and she asked me not to. Well, then why doesn't she? A perfectly natural second question. Because she's afraid it might contain some bad news. Well, I'd like to help you out, Miss Brooks, but... Opening other people's messages is very bad luck. Please, Walter, not you too. You should have been at the Conklin's house with me this morning. I'd sent Harriet a little note, and Mr. Conklin opened it by mistake. It was one of my more amorous epistles. You know, <laughs> solid goo. <laughs> uh, his opening it was sure unlucky, though. In what way? Right after he read it, he kicked me down the porch steps. Well, I hate to crash headlong into such a nostalgic moment, but this is getting out of hand. Walter, I insist that you open this wire. Oh, gosh, Miss Brooks, if you're going to be upset about it, hand it over. Here you are. Stop. You can't do it, Walter. Oh, hi, Mrs. Davis. What's the trouble? You remember Uncle Corky, don't you? Uncle Corky? Oh, oh, the old fellow with the beard who plays Santa Claus for us every year. Oh, sure, I remember him. How is he? He's... He's left us, Walter. I'm afraid that's what this telegram is about. Really? But if it was about that, wouldn't it have a black border on it? No, Uncle Corky has a white beard. She <laughs> <laughs> was a nice old guy. Look, why don't we take this wire over to Harriet to open? She's not afraid of anything. You're right, Walter. Anyone who could live with Mr. Conklin for 16 years must be made of iron. <laughs> we'll take it over to Harriet and You'll we'll have... do nothing of the sort. We'll just let it rest on this table for a while. But how about the answer? It's an immediate... Don't argue, Herbie. Maybe if the telegram rests for a while, Uncle Corky will feel better. <laughs> Starring Eve Arden will continue in just a moment, but first, here is Vern Smith. For bare skin beauty, it's bath size palm olive with its famous beauty lather. Yes, bath size palm olive for loveliness all over. There's something thrillingly new in this wonderful beauty lather of bath size palm olive soap. New fragrance, new charm, new allure. See if palm olive in your daily tub or shower doesn't leave your shoulders, arms, and back, yes, all of you softer and smoother. Completely lovelier all over. You'll thrill to the tender whisper of perfume it leaves on your skin. A whisper that says, come hither to romance. And this new bath-sized palm olive is so big, so thrifty, economical to use because it lasts so long and gives so much soft, lovely lather so fast. That soft, lovely lather with its alluring new fragrance is palm olive soaps alone. Palm olive's famous beauty lather. Yes, a new fragrance, new charm, new allure that can make every woman a vision of delight in the new revealing fashions that show so much more of you. So remember, for bare skin beauty, it's bath-sized palm olive with its famous beauty lather. Yes, bath-sized palm olive for loveliness all over. Get bath-sized palm olive soap tomorrow. 
Men folk love it too. Well, I finally prevailed upon Mrs. Davis to let me take the telegram over to the Conklins to be opened. When I got to their house, Madison's beloved principal was asleep in a hammock, and Harriet was sitting on the porch steps reading. Hi, Harriet. What's that you're reading? Oh, it's a Western story, Miss Brooks. But please, lower your voice. Why? Don't you want the Indians to hear? <laughs> I don't want Daddy to hear you. He's taking a nap on the hammock. I dropped over to ask a favor of you, Harriet. It'll probably sound pretty silly to you, but... Well, you know how peculiar Mrs. Davis is sometimes. Oh, of course. She got this telegram a while ago and simply refuses to open it. She insists that it contains bad news. That is peculiar. I wouldn't mind so much, but it's an immediate reply requested. Oh, Herbie. <laughs> this is Herbie Terwilliger, Harriet. Pleased to meet your acquaintance, Miss Conklin. Hello. All I want you to do, Harriet, is to open the wire. Me? But why don't... She can't. She promised Mrs. Davis she wouldn't. Well, then why don't you? He can. First rule of basic training. He shalt not monkey with the messages. <laughs> oh, it's all just a lot of superstitious nonsense, Harriet. Here, tear it open and let's get this over with, hmm? Well, if you think it's all right for a stranger to open Mrs. Davis's wire... Stranger? You're no stranger to Uncle Corky, Harriet. As I recall, you're one of his favorite kids here at Madison. Oh, is this wire from Uncle Corky? Mrs. Davis seems to think it's about him, from his next of kin or something. Next of kin? Oh, that dear old gentleman. I'll never forget what a kick he got out of playing Santa Claus at Christmas time. <laughs> and now he's gone. What is it with that Uncle Corky? The minute you mention his name, people start shoveling. <laughs> Look, Harriet, all we know is that the telegram comes from Uncle Corky's hometown. You'll just open it now, will you? Well, I'm sorry, Miss Brooks, but I'd rather not. I'm very fond of Mrs. Davis, and I don't want to be the one to find out about her uncle. Oh, great. What do we do now? This thing is getting bigger than both of us. <laughs> You're so right, Herbie. But now I really must put my foot down. While you're at it, put your voice down a notch, will you? <laughs> Mr. Conklin, I didn't know you were awake. I wasn't. Now that I am, what is all this about a telegram? It belongs to Mrs. Davis, Mr. Conklin. She won't open it because it concerns her Uncle Corky. Uncle Corky? That old fraud? Oh, <laughs> How can you speak that way? Why, Uncle Corky's the best Santa Claus that Madison ever had. He's a hypocritical old windbag. <laughs> Time was when I was considered the best Santa Claus Madison ever had. But, Daddy, you said yourself that putting on that big red tummy was a lot of trouble. You'll have more trouble trying to get it off. <laughs> uh, look, Mr. Conklin, I'm sorry I disturbed your nap, but if you'll just open this telegram for Why us... Why should I open it? It makes me mad just to think of that egotistical, spotlight-grabbing old foof. What? Don't you see, Daddy? Mrs. Davis is afraid to open the telegram because she thinks it's bad news. About Uncle Foof. Uh, Corky. <laughs> She's afraid that... Well, that Uncle Corky will never play Santa again. But what has Mrs. Davis got to... Never play Santa Claus again? You mean she thinks he's... Yes, Daddy. Oh, that... Poor old gentleman. <laughs> How well I remember the merry twinkle in his eye. And that rollicking, cheerful voice as he strolled among us. I remember the first time he came to us at Christmas. How artfully he played Kris Kringle. 
What was it he used to say so cleverly? Oh, yes, yes. Ho, ho, ho. <laughs> he ad-libbed every word of it, too. <laughs> There's something I'd like to remind you of, Mr. Conklin. Nobody knows that Uncle Corky has ho-hoed his last ho. <laughs> so if you just open this telegram... Uh, no, no, I'm sorry, Miss Brooks, but I'll have no part of this telegram. Although not addicted to silly superstition, I see no reason to put the whammy on myself. <laughs> now, if you'll excuse me, I'd like to continue my nap. And if you'll excuse me, I'd like to go to lunch. I'm starved. Certainly, my boy. Just run along. I'll get a bite at the drugstore, and I'll see you back at Mrs. Davis's house, Miss Brooks. All right, Herbie. Goodbye. Goodbye, Herbie. Goodbye, Harriet. Goodbye, Mr. Conklin. Goodbye. Now then, Miss Brooks, if you don't mind, I... Who was that? <laughs> That's the messenger boy, Mr. Conklin. We've been going steady since breakfast. <laughs> oh. Well, if it isn't too unreasonable a request, will you and Harriet talk as softly as possible? That is, if you're staying, Miss Brooks. How could I tear myself away from such a charming host? Uh, what are we going to do about this wire, Harriet? Oh, I wish I knew, Miss Brooks. Wait a minute. Maybe we can read the message without opening it. How? Stick one of our eyes through the little cellophane window? <laughs> no. I'll get a candle and hold it up to the back of the envelope. That way you can see what's inside. Well, we might as well try it, Harriet. Because if I don't find out what's going on in Springdale soon, I'll absolutely blow my corky. <laughs> I don't know what Springdale's coming to. What kind of a telegraph outfit is this, anyway? Now, now, simmer down, Corky. You've already waited two hours for that immediate reply. Another five minutes doesn't matter. It does when you're 87, boy. <laughs> Are you sure you sent the message exactly as I gave it to you? Well, I'll try and dig up the master copy for you. Hmm. How come you're making the trip at this time of year, Corky? You usually go away around Christmas, don't you? Well, I used to, but never again. I'm always roped into playing Santa Claus at Madison High School. Darn kids prop me up under a Christmas tree, yank on my beard, and yap jingle bells in my ears. Well, I'd like to beat him over the head with a chimney. <laughs> well, you won't have to worry about Christmas this trip, Corky. You can take advantage of this nice July weather. Play some golf or something. No, not me. I gave up golf a month ago. Why? At my age, I don't feel safe being so close to a hole in the ground. Besides, <laughs> it's bad for my hives. But I'm going to make this vacation of mine a real wing-ding, boy. You know, my niece has a young school teacher living with her, a real looker, what I mean. Hot stuff. Hey, Corky? Oh, she's groovy, Jack. Oh, yeah. Here's that why you send to Mrs. Davis, Corky. I'll uh, read it to you, shall I? That'd be just super. Well, it says, arriving tonight. Please advise if you can put me up. Have one week to live a little and would like to spend it with you. Love, Uncle Corky. Hmm. Can't understand what's holding up the answer. Well, I'm taking the next train regardless. Lay out your best bib and tugger, Brooksy. Here I come, laughing and scratching. Hold the telegram a little closer to the candle, Miss Brooks There, 
Can you see anything yet? Yes, Harriet, I can make out three words very clearly. What do they say, Miss Brooks? Don't write, telegraph. <laughs> I'll it a little closer to the flame. Oh, that's too close, Miss Brooks. Look out, the telegram's on fire. Oh, no. Miss Brooks, you dropped it. Well, under the circumstances, Harriet, I thought it highly advisable. You see, I left my asbestos gloves at the laundromat. Quick, Miss Brooks, step on it. I'm glad I didn't wear my open-toed shoes today. What on earth is all this racket? Oh, it's you. Miss Brooks, you dance divinely. <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Conklin. This is the step that won me a cup at the fireman's ball. I see. Well, if you're quite finished with your little flame dance, Miss Brooks, I trust that your next step will be a long one in the direction of your home. First, we've got to find out what's in the telegram or what's left of it. It's from Uncle Corky. So, the hammy old goat's alive after all. <laughs> what does it say, Miss Brooks? Well, some of it's been destroyed, Harriet. What's left says, arriving tonight, have one week to live. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Uncle Corky. <laughs> I remember when I last saw him. There was a merry twinkle in his eye. And he was hoping he would live to see one more Christmas. But now he's leaving us. Wait, wait, I have an idea. Uncle Corky will have another Christmas. Tonight. Christmas in July? Harriet, get ready to do some Christmas shopping. Yes, Daddy. And Miss Brooks, decorate your living room. Get a Christmas tree, artificial snow, bright colored lights. We're going to give Uncle Corky the best Christmas he ever had. <laughs> Uncle Corky will simply adore this Christmas tree, Connie. It's a silver fur, isn't it? Yes, it'll match his beard beautifully. <laughs> I hope the others get here with their Christmas gifts before Uncle Corky arrives. It's already 8 o'clock, and they said they'd... What was that? Oh, that's Herbie. He fell asleep on the couch this afternoon, waiting for the immediate reply. <laughs> Poor Herbie. His CO will think he's gone over the hill. <laughs> Mrs. Davis, would you plug this in the socket, please? I want to see how the tree looks with the lights on. All right, Connie. There. How does it look? Lovely, Mrs. Davis. Really beautiful. A Christmas tree? Have I been here that long? <laughs> no, Herbie. It's still Saturday. Never mind the day. What's the month? <laughs> It's July. You fell asleep on the couch. You've only been here 12 hours. 12 hours? Have you got the immediate reply yet? What's your rush? <laughs> oh, excuse me. Merry Christmas, Miss Brooks. Merry Christmas. Ho, ho, ho. <laughs> may we come in? Ho, ho, ho. You certainly may. <laughs> Look, Mrs. Davis. A pair of perspiring carolers just strayed in. <laughs> Harriet, dear, and Osgood, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Ho, ho, ho. They'll, they'll drum me out of the service for this. <laughs> ah, the spirit of the Yuletide is in the air. And what a lovely Christmas tree. And look at those luxuriant pine needles. That's Herbie. He needs a shave. <laughs> 
But the tree is really beautiful, Miss Brooks. In two years, I would have been up for a pension. <laughs> you folks can put your gifts under the tree. Oh, excuse me. Merry Christmas, Miss Brooks. And a happy Easter to you, Walter. Come into the living room. Friends, we've been joined by one of Santa's little helpers. Merry... Oh, it's you, Denton. <laughs> Uh-oh. Look out the window. There's a cab at the curb, and Uncle Corky's getting out of it. Oh, 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 he's here. He's here. Now, let's get together on this. If we're to succeed in brightening his remaining days, we've really got to make him believe it's Christmas. Give him that old Yuletide spirit. Yeah, we know what to do, Miss Brooks. Just wait till old Corky topples through that door. I left the latch off the door, Connie. Come in, Uncle Corky. Hello, Margaret. I... Let him have it, folks. Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. All that money is to ride in a one-horse open sleigh. Ho, ho, ho! <laughs> what are you ho-hoing about, you big oaf? <laughs> Why, Uncle Corky, we want you to have one more real Christmas. Christmas? What did I do, drop into a nest of cuckoos? <laughs> Please, Uncle Corky, we want this week to be the happiest you've ever spent. Well, then how about getting some of these people out of here and leaving me alone with Miss Brooks? <laughs> did you hear that, Connie? Uncle Corky is fond of you. Oh, that's very touching, Uncle Corky, but isn't this your last week? Might well be, sis, but... What a way to go. <laughs> Eve Arden as our Miss Brooks returns in just a moment, but first... Dream girl, dream girl, beautiful luster cream girl. Tonight. Yes, tonight, show him how much lovelier your hair can look after a Luster Cream shampoo. Luster Cream, world's finest shampoo. No other shampoo in the world gives you K. Dumas' magic blend of secret ingredients plus gentle aniline. Not a soap, not a liquid, Luster Cream shampoo leaves hair three ways lovelier. Fragrantly clean, free of loose dandruff, glistening with sheen, soft, manageable. Even in hardest water, Luster Cream lathers instantly. No special rinse needed after a Luster Cream shampoo. So gentle, Luster Cream is wonderful even for children's hair. Tonight, yes, tonight, try Luster Cream shampoo. Dream girl, dream girl, beautiful Luster Cream girl. You owe your crowning glory to Luster Cream Shampoo. And now, once again, here is our Miss Brooks. As soon as Mr. Conklin discovered that Uncle Corky wasn't on his last legs, he gathered up his Christmas packages, his daughter Harriet and Walter Denton, and left in a cloud of frustration. Herb Terwilliger left, too, after I had promised him an immediate reply by the end of the year. After Mrs. Davis had gone to bed, I started for my room. Oh, I didn't know you were still up. <laughs> How about stepping out for a stroll, Brooksy? There's a full moon. Why, Errol, what have you been spiking your pablum with? 
frankly, Uncle Corky, I'm afraid you're a few minutes too old for me. Too old? Why, don't you know that the longer a man lives, the more he knows about romance? I may be 87, but I really got the know-how. You may have the know-how, but believe me, you'll still find it tough to get the who with. <laughs> Our Miss Brooks Show, brought to you by Parmalee Soap, Your Beauty Hope, and Luster Cream Shampoo for soft, glamorous, caressable hair. Our Miss Brooks, starring Eve Arden, is produced by Larry Burns, written and directed by Al Lewis, with music by Wilbur Hatch. Mr. Conklin is played by Gail Gordon. Others in tonight's cast were Jane Morgan, Dick Crenna, Gloria McMillan, Joe Kearns, Jerry Hausner, and Peter Leeds. Here's a money-saving offer, men. A giant tube and a large tube of palm olive brushless shaving cream for 49 cents. Yes, a 70-cent value for only 49 cents. This offer is made solely to prove you, too, can get smoother, more comfortable shaves the palm olive brushless way. Just follow directions on the tube and treat your face to wonderful shaves. Yes, for extra shaving comfort at extra low cost, don't miss this palm olive brushless bargain. At drug and toilet goods counters, get both giant and large size palm olive brushless. A 70 cent value for only 49 cents. For mystery liberally sprinkled with laughs, listen to Mr. and Mrs. North Tuesday evening over most of these same stations. And be with us again next week at the same time for another comedy episode of Our Miss Brooks. Bob Lamont speaking for CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. From Hollywood, Colgate Tooth Powder for a breath that's sweet and Halo Shampoo to glorify your hair bring you an unusual musical presentation. Warner Brothers, 42nd Street, starring Robert Alda and Janice Page. Colgate Tooth Powder for a breath that's sweet and Halo Shampoo to glorify your hair. Present your theater of romance from Hollywood. In 1932, Warner Brothers flashed upon the screen the forerunner of the bright musicals of the world, 42nd Street. Tonight, Theater of Romance presents Stanley Rubin and a Joel Malone streamlined version starring two of Warner's streamlined players, Robert Alder, the George Gershwin of Rhapsody in Blue, and Janice Page, one of its brightest new singing stars. Where the underworld can meet you, 
party, party, dance and sing. Come and meet, oh dance and sing. Come and meet, oh dance and sing. Okay, okay, that's enough. All right, Andy, take their names. We eat for at least six weeks, girl. Are there any more, Andy? No, that doesn't, Mr. Marsh. Sixteen dancers. You mean sixteen girls. They will be dancers, but not until Julian Marsh is through with them. You said it, Mr. Marsh. Mm -hmm. Now, now, where's Billy Lawler? We've got to do that young and healthy number. Well, he's in his dressing room. I'll get him right away. All right. Uh, you don't remember me, do you, Mr. Marsh? Mm -hmm. I'm Lorraine Lemert. Lemert? Yeah. Lemert. Oh, oh, yes. Used to be a blonde, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. Times got tough. I had to go off the gold standard. Oh. <laughs> hmm. That reminds me. Any of you kids who haven't worked a Marsh show, it isn't going to be a sleigh ride. You're going to work, understand? Work, work, and more work. You'll be here 25 hours a day. The rest of the time you can have to yourself. You understand? The rest of the time you can have to yourself. Billy, Mr. Lawler. Yes? On stage, Billy. Okay, Andy, be right there. Oh, I'm sorry. Excuse me. It isn't your fault. I ought to go where I'm looking. But I... Well, I shouldn't even be backstage. I'll say you shouldn't. You should be on stage and in the spotlight. You really think so? Well, that's what I'm here for, to get a job. Oh, new to show business, huh? Oh, no. I've had loads of experience. You have? Uh, just how many shows have you been in? Well, there was... There was, um... Uh-huh. And what else? <laughs> Well, confidentially, if Mr. Marsh hires me, this will be my first. <laughs> well, get your diary, honey. We'll see what we can do about making this a red-letter day. Lola, Billy Lola, get over here for that number. Coming, Mother. <laughs> you wait here, honey. I got to go sing for the boss man. Then I'll unwrap your loveliness. Baby, will he go for you? Come on, Billy. Let's get in this number here and give it all you got. I'm young and healthy, and you got charm. It would really be a sin not to have you in my arms. I'm young and healthy, and so are you. When the rain is in the sky, tell me what am I to do? If I could hate you, I'd keep away. But that ain't my nature, I'm full of vitamin A. I'm young and healthy, so let's be bold. In a year or two or three, maybe we will be too old. If I could hate you, I'd keep away. I'm full of vitamin A. I'm young and healthy. So let's be bold. In a year or two or three, maybe we will be too old. I'm young and healthy, so let's be bold. I'm young and healthy, so let's be bold. I'm young and healthy, and you've got charm. 
It would really be a sin not to have you in my arms. La da da da. You know, you really do have charms, Peg. They sure melted Julian Marsh. It wasn't my charm. It was the things you said, Billy, that got me a job. I'm very grateful. Oh, forget it. You're a break for the show. Billy, you're going to spoil me saying all these nice things. Well, you've got them coming, honey. You belong. On you, old 42nd Street looks good. 42nd Street's always looked good to me. It's been my dream street since I was a kid. Yeah, there's a lot of dreams wrapped up in this street. Stars and hit shows, overnight success, and failure. Ah, but the street goes on. New hits, new stars, and you're going to be one of them, Peg. You inflate my ego anymore, and I'll just float home. You better save your compliments till after tomorrow's rehearsal. You'll do fine. Why well, was you were singing and dancing with me instead of Dorothy Brock? Oh, Billy, she's one of the biggest names on Broadway. She's a has-been. An old war horse who should have been turned out to pasture. Well, Mr. Marsh doesn't think so. Marsh can't think so. Abner Dillon, the backer of the show, says it's Brock. And so it's Brock. Unfortunately, that's part of show business, too. Oh. But never mind about that, honey. You'll never need any Abner Dillons. You've got dancing feet. Here. Just try this new routine with me. What? On 42nd Street? Why not? Come on. Wait, Billy. At least we've got to stay on the sidewalk. Heel, heel, you two. Don't you know you're stopping traffic? Oh, come now, officer. Just look at this girl. Wouldn't she stop traffic anywhere? Well, well... She is a little nifty. <laughs> right out of our show. Little nifties from the 50s, innocent and sweet. Sexy ladies from the 80s who are in the street. Presented by Colgate Tooth Powder and Halo Shampoo, has just brought you the first act of 42nd Street, starring Robert Alder and Janice Page. The following message is presented in cooperation with the drug, cosmetic, and allied industries by Colgate Palmolive Peat Company. Friends, do you want to know what a fellow feels like when he comes home from the war? Well, here's a chap thinking out loud. I'm on the last lap. Six hours now, and I'll hit the old hometown. I wonder if Millie has changed, Danny. Three years. Gosh, me a papa. The kid sure looks like a slugger from his pictures. Well, he can't talk yet, so he won't be asking his old man how he lost his flipper. You know, it, it's, it's funny how some guys want to tell how they got their wounds. And others, I guess I'm one, want to forget it all. Forget there ever was a war. I know Millie will understand, but that gabby aunt of hers. Oh, Joe, you poor fellow. Well, I hope... Millie keeps her out of my way and tells her not to slop all over me. All I want is to get back home and take up where I left off. I've got three years living to catch up with. And, brother, I don't want any interference. Friends, this returning veteran may be one of your family, your friend or your neighbor. When you meet him, be natural. Remember, he wants to take up where he left off. So welcome him home as a man, a husband, a friend, a brother... A responsible citizen, not as a stranger. 
And now, Colgate Tooth Powder and Halo Shampoo bring you the second act of 42nd Street. Fine. You look fine. You really think this costume does things for me, Lorraine? Kids, you do things for that costume. Now, quit worrying. What's the matter? You still got those butterflies in your stomach? Uh-huh. And the closer we get to opening night, the bigger they grow. <laughs> That's four weeks away, honey. If you don't relax, they'll be as big as bats. Who's that? Oh, you two lovebirds. Bats about each other. <laughs> <laughs> Joke over. Bye-bye, Lorraine. I don't know how you can spare me. <laughs> Say, Peg... Are you up on the lyrics to the habit number? Huh? Oh, oh, sure, Billy. I know all the lyrics. Good. You know, Andy tells me that Dorothy Brock is going to be late again. Very so? late. So stick around, hon. Might have a little surprise for you. Say, Julian. Oh, hello, Billy. All set. Yeah, ready to go, but uh, where's our lovely leading lady? Her maid just called, Mr. Marsh. Oh, no, no. Not again. Not again. Yep, again. Headache this time. Won't be until after lunch. Well, why not try the number without her? Oh, a boy-girl number without the girl. That's great, great. Andy, get on that phone and tell that broken-down prima donna. Now, wait a minute, Julian. Peggy Sawyer knows the arrangement. She oh. can fill in. Would you like to hear her? Oh, That's I fine. Oh, Peggy, would you do us a favor? Atta girl. Now, just sit down, Julian. Everything's going to be all right.
Andy, I thought you told me these girls were improving. Three weeks ago, and you'd think they were wearing horseshoes. Come on, girls, put some life into it. You're supposed to be young and healthy. my feet ever do to deserve this? Only a week to go, Lorraine. Just one more week. Take a look at him, Mr. Marsh. How do you like him now? Well, they'll have to be better when that curtain goes up tonight, but uh, they're not bad, Andy. Not bad. Gee, thanks, Mr. Marsh. Okay, kids, cut it. Rest. Everyone back in the theater by 6 o'clock. Everyone back. Well, here we are, Peg. Uh, I'd better run and get dressed. Well, there's plenty of time. How's the stomach? Butterflies or bats? Oh, Billy. Seagulls. <laughs> uh, you'll be all right the minute you're on stage. Right about now, even the old-timers are nervous. Billy, Billy, I've been looking all over for you. Well, what's the matter, Andy? We're 20 minutes early. No, no, no. It's Brock. Dorothy Brock. Oh, now, don't tell me she's got a headache on opening night. Headache? Nothing. She's broken her ankle. Oh, slipped off a bar rail, eh? Oh, Billy, this is on the level. Mr. Marsh just talked to Abner Dillon, and the show may not open. Well, where is everybody? They're all on the stage. Well, Julian's talking to him, huh? Come on, Peg. Ankles, so. so that's just the way it is, kids. It's a tough break for all of us after these weeks of rehearsal, but I know it's particularly tough for you. That's why I wanted to talk it over. Well, what's the matter, Julian? Won't Dylan back the show with anybody but Brock a star? Yes, he will, Billy. He gave the name of another girl. Yes, she's here now. I'll put it directly up to the cast. You can all decide whether this girl could carry the show. Just remember, it's a big show. It's a Marsh show. Well, who's the girl, Julian? Yeah, who is it? Lorraine Lamert. Lorraine Lamert? Hey, that's me. Yes. Oh, holy Hannah. All I ever gave Dylan was a wink. And with phony eyelashes. Well, I guess it paid off, Lorraine. Yeah. Yeah, I guess it, uh... Hey, now wait a minute. Look, kids, I, I know you're all too sweet to tell me, but I wasn't born yesterday which is just one of a dozen reasons why I could never carry the show. But we got somebody here who can. What? How about it, Billy? Don't you agree? Huh? Oh, oh, sure. Sure we have. Here, Julian, meet Peggy Sawyer, your new leading lady. Peggy Sawyer. Sure, just leave it to me, Mr. Marsh. I'll fix it with Dylan. I, I got some longer eyelashes. <laughs> no, no, no. Now, hold on a minute. Sawyer's never been in a show before. And this is the lead. What are you trying to do? Wreck the name of Julian Marsh? Now, listen, Julian. So she's never been in a show before. So she's new to Broadway. Well, since when did that ever ruin a show? You want youth and spirit and beauty? Well, Peggy Sawyer's got all of that. Got it like Dorothy Brock has never had. But, Billy, you don't understand. I watched you the day Peggy filled in for Brock. Why, you loved her. I... I did. He did? Certainly. And if <laughs> Julian Marsh liked her, she's got to be good. Well, <laughs> well, if Julian Marsh liked her, she's a star already. Uh... Are you sure I liked it?
young and healthy so let's be bold in a year or two or three maybe we will be too old every kiss every heart seems to act just like a drug you're getting to be a habit with me let me say I'm addicted to your charm. You're getting to be a habit with me. You've got me in your clutches and I can't get free. You're getting to be a habit with me. Can't break it. You're getting to be a habit. Applause, honey. Why, they love you. Keep it up. Oh, Billy, I'll be all right, as long as you're beside me. I'm going to be beside you for a long, long time, honey. Because after this next number, if it's okay with you, we'll be shuffling off on a real honeymoon. I'll go home and pack my clothes, you go get your these and nosies, and away we'll go. Mm, off we're gonna shuffle, shuffle off to Buffalo. by Colgate Tooth Powder and Halo Shampoo has just brought you 42nd Street, starring Robert Alder and Janice Page. Mr. Alder will return to our microphone in just a moment. Home from the war. A man united again with his wife or his parents. 
A man out of uniform and into a slack suit. A man going to a store, office, or into the field, instead of into a foxhole. Home from the war. Yes, our boy is back. He always hated to be fussed over, so we just let him know we were glad to have him home. I found a lot of young fellas want to know the facts about employment in our community. They sure appreciate getting the real dope about the setup in our town. I met and married Bill just two months before he went away, so we've had to get acquainted all over again. <laughs> we were both a little strange at first, but, well, we know our marriage is going to be a success. Friends, let's use tact, consideration, and understanding when our men and women come home. Let's be natural. If a chap wants to talk about his experiences, let him. If he doesn't want to open up, don't quiz. He's a human being glad to be home. Treat him that way. Colgate Tooth Powder for a breath that's sweet and halo shampoo to glorify your hair. Thanks Robert Alda and Janice Page for their delightful performances in 42nd Street. A thanks to the Warner Brothers, producers of the dramatic hit Mildred Pierce for their story and their stars. Here now is Bob Alda. Thank you. Appearing in the Colgate Halo Theater of Romance tonight was a lot of fun. Janice and I would like to thank Harry Simeone for his musical tricks in 42nd Street and Lud Gluskin for his conducting. Next week, you will hear one of the most dynamic actors of today in an exciting story of torment and love. John Garfield in Dust Be My Destiny. I know you will all be listening. Good night, and thanks from all of us. Billboard for the Future. Next week, Charles Vanna's production of Theater Romance presents John Garfield in Dust Be My Destiny. In the following week, we'll be hearing Herbert Marshall, Henry Fonda, James Stewart, and many others. Keep this date for all the weeks to come. These presentations of Theater of Romance come to you because of your enthusiastic recognition of Colgate Tooth Powder for a breath that's sweet and Halo Shampoo to glorify your hair. This is your host, Frank Graham, saying goodnight and wishing you love, happiness, romance. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. CBS brings you romance. Tonight, madcap romance in the great comedy, My Man Godfrey. Godfrey was the last of the perfect brothers. He was elegant. He was tall, slim, and handsome. Not quite young, definitely not old. There never was a butler quite like him before. And I, Irene Bullock, know there will never be one like him again. Once again, CBS brings you romance. Tonight, Eric Hatch's great American comedy, My Man Godfrey. Here we invite you to adventure. The adventure of man and woman, boy and girl, in search of happiness with one another. Here we invite you to mystery. The mystery of the human heart. Now for romance with my man Godfrey with Carl Swenson as my man himself. Columbia, where are you taking me? 
looking at Cornelia. That's the party. You can't. Please, Cornelia. I'm tired of driving around New York City at night. But we've got to find a forgotten man. We can't go back without a forgotten man. Irene, there will be more scavenger hunts this season. Don't be a drip, Cornelia. If we find a forgotten man, we can win this hunt. I've never won a scavenger hunt. Irene, what did you do? I took the key. Promise to go on looking or I'll throw it away and you'll have to walk back to the party. I'll take a taxi. You haven't any money. Irene, give me that key. We're stalled right in the middle of traffic. Promise to go on looking for a forgotten man? Father will stop your spending money when I tell him. Promise to go on looking? I'll tell that policeman what you did and he'll arrest you. Promise to? Oh, all right, you and your forgotten man. forgotten man, aren't you? May we speak to you for a moment? Uh, sorry, I'm very busy at the moment. That's not very polite. Little girls who go running around the city dumps talking to strange men have no right to expect politeness. <laughs> oh, don't be stuffy. I just want you to work for me for about an hour. I'll give you, uh, five dollars. What do you want me to do? Hold up a bank? Murder your uncle? I want to show you to some people and prove I brought you and then send you back here. How do I know that I'll get paid? My father's president of one of the biggest banks in town. That isn't necessarily a guarantee. Oh, be reasonable. We're having a scavenger hunt, and we've all got to bring in a forgotten man. Somebody who, who's all washed up, who's dead beat. Get out of here before I push your pretty face in. Get out of here. Look out! You're crowding me into these tin cans. Well, then get out of here. Maybe you don't know that forgotten men are dangerous. Well, all right. All I've got to say is it's too bad some people are so sensitive. Oh, that was wonderful. Huh? Wonderful. Where did you come from? I hope you don't mind if I share your fire, but it's cold out. Cornelia's a stinker, isn't she? Cornelia? My sister. The one you pushed into that pile of tin cans. I wish you had. She's never been pushed any place before. Gee, this fire smells terrible, doesn't it? You can choose your fires. I can. If you're going to be here tomorrow, I'll bring you over some kindling and logs and things. Go on. You're kidding. No, I'm not. You've got to have a better fire than this. Well, I, that's nice of you to care. Um, your sister will be wondering where you are. No, she won't. She's always taking me places and forgetting me. Too bad she got off on the wrong foot with you. We had the game almost won, and it's the first time any of us have played it. Scavenger hunt. Crazy things people waste their time with. Did you have everything else you needed to win? Mm-hmm. Old bicycle. Cuckoo clock, a left-handed brassy. Oh, we had them all right. Oh, but the forgotten man. Well, then you've got yourself a forgotten man. Do you mean that? Why not? I haven't got anything else to do. You know, I don't understand you at all. Sitting here in a dump this way, scaring the life out of my sister. And all of a sudden deciding you want to join our scavenger hunt. What's with you, anyway? Let's just say that I uh, want to see how the other half lives, okay? Okay, Mr. Forgotten Man. Let's get going. Now, I take great pleasure in announcing the winners, the beautiful, talented, and charming young ladies, Miss Cornelia Bullock and Miss... Uh, 
Miss... Uh, thank you, Miss Helene Bullock. Oh, Mother, we won. We won. Isn't it wonderful? Yes, my dear. I was so surprised. Mother, I want you to meet Godfrey. Godfrey, Mother. Mother Godfrey. How do you do, Godfrey? It's so nice of you to come. Uh, not at all, Mrs. Bullock. You certainly changed your mind in a hurry, Godfrey. Huh? Oh, a little graciousness can always work wonders, Miss Cornelia. Well, uh, Miss Irene, you don't need me anymore, so I'll just uh, say goodbye. No, wait. You did something for us. We've got to do something for you. What do you need most? Well, I could use a job, but I don't suppose you have any of those, do you? Matter of fact, we're looking for a butler. Could you be a butler? Don't be absurd, Irene. We know nothing about this man. We knew all about the last one, and he got away with most of the silver. Yeah, I could be a very good butler. Mm, well, maybe, but it's so hard to tell in those awful clothes you're wearing. It wouldn't do any harm to just try, would it, Mother? Well, I, I don't know. What do you think, Cornelia? I think it's absurd. Another of Irene's scatterbrained notions. Well, you practically shoved me into a fire. If you'll pardon my saying so, you certainly deserved it. There, what did I tell you, Mother? But it wasn't Godfrey's fault, Mother. It was Cornelia's. How would you feel if you were down and out and somebody came along and made fun of you? I don't know. I've never been down and out. You'd want to push somebody, too. Cornelia's being unfair. I'll vouch for Godfrey. I promise he'll make a perfect butler. Well, if you insist, Irene, advance him some money to get a decent livery and put him to work at the house tomorrow morning. Thank you, madam. You know, people who take in stray cats say they make the best pets. Uh, good night. Oh, I'll just bet he makes a wonderful butler. Is that impudent fellow going to have a tough time at our house? Oh, brother, is he going to have a tough time? Bullock. Oh, is it morning? Mm-hmm. Oh, well, good, good morning, Godfrey. Good morning, madam. Good morning. I trust you slept well. My, but you're a beautiful butler. Uh, where have you worked before? If you will permit me to put your breakfast tray here, Mrs. Bullock. Mm-hmm. Thank you. I worked for a Mrs. G. Hopkinson Park. Park with an E in Boston, madam. She's a Mrs. John Bogart now. Did she give you a reference, Godfrey? Uh, no, there was trouble between us, so I left without it. Uh, will that be all, madam? Yes, thank you, Godfrey. And, uh, by the way, I think you're very handsome. You must tell me more about yourself. Good morning, Miss Cornelia. It's a fine morning. I'll draw your shade. What do you mean barging in here like this before I'm awake, Godfrey? I brought you your breakfast. I couldn't touch... Oh, I feel awful. Just awful. There must have been the champagne. Oh, what'll I do? I took the liberty of bringing you three ponies of brandy, miss. Three? Why three? Why not one big one? Uh, sometimes, miss, the first one doesn't remain with one long. If not, here is the second. And if the second fails... Here is the third. The third one always does the trick. Oh, that's a good thought. You've got your nerve coming in here after what you did to me last night. Yes, but look what I've done for you this morning. I'll fix you. I'll run you ragged. I'll make you so sorry you ever dreamed of coming here to work. Your poached egg 
Yes. Uh, take it away. Uh, just as you say. And let me tell you something, Miss Cornelia. You can't do anything to me. Nobody can do anything to me. When a man is completely down and out, nobody can hurt him. I hurt you? No. Last night? No. It was only what you stood for that hurt me. I hurt myself. If that will be all, Miss Cornelia, I have to get on with Miss Irene's breakfast. Indeed it is, Miss Irene. I brought you breakfast. Good. I'm starved. My, you look wonderful. We were lucky to get you. It just goes to show, doesn't it? You never can tell who's hiding behind a scraggly beard. Uh, will there be anything else, Miss Irene? Yes. Sit down and talk to me while I have breakfast. Well, I can't. I'm the butler. It would be different if you were a regular butler, but you're not. You're a man disguised as a regular butler, which makes you a romantic character. And as a romantic character, it's part of your duties to have your breakfast with me. Sit down on the foot of the bed. Well, uh, <coughs> I... Mm-hmm. You look very nice there. Yeah. You must come often. Godfrey, it's not going to be fun buttling for this family, but it's a roof over your head and food to eat and decent fires until you straighten out whatever's wrong inside of you. What makes you think something's wrong inside me? Oh, I just know it, that's no. Instinct, I guess. Like my knowing I'm in love with you. But now, M- Miss Irene, you uh, you aren't awake yet. You I'm know. wide awake. In fact, I haven't been asleep at all. I've been lying here all night thinking about you. You see, I fell in love with you last night. Beard, ragged clothes, city dump and all. I'm sorry if it annoys you, but I can't help it. <coughs> I'm afraid I must get back to the kitchen. Uh, will that be all, Miss? Yes, Godfrey. That will be all. For now... Uh, will you have another cup of coffee, Mr. Bullock? Hmm? Oh, no, no, thank you, Godfrey. Good heavens. Is something wrong, sir? Oh, no, no, Godfrey. I, I, I'll be all right in a moment. It's just something I read here in the paper. I always recommend a good, strong shot of water after reading something disagreeable in the paper, sir. Godfrey, I'm in a mess. I'm sorry, sir. I didn't mean to get into it, but I did. And now I don't know how to get out of it. But the papers are full of rumors of trouble in the Hanoverian Bank and Trust Company. Uh, That is your bank, isn't it, sir? Yes, that's my bank. Slowly being forced to the wall, bad investment. Nothing crooked, you understand. I understand perfectly, sir. I don't want this to get around, Godfrey. I, I appreciate silence from those around me. Let me give you a little something as a slight gesture of appreciation. Well, you don't have to buy my silence. I'm your butler, Mr. Bullock. You're already paying me very well for loyalty. Thank you, Godfrey. I can see already you're a better man than most I've met in my lifetime. Thank you, sir. Now, if you'll excuse me, I have some silver to polish. Hello, Godfrey. What are you doing? Polishing the silver? Isn't that uh, rather obvious, Miss Irene? Let me help. That isn't necessary. Oh, I'd like to, really. I can pretend it's our silver, yours and mine, Godfrey. And that we're getting it ready for a party we're giving. Godfrey, have you ever been in love? Now and then? You seem very aloof and unapproachable on the whole subject. I am a butler, and you are a lady in the house. If you were the parlor maid, then that would be a different story. What would happen if I were the parlor maid, Godfrey? 
I'd probably kiss you in the pantry and take you to the movies on Thursday night and Sunday afternoons and hold your hands in the back row. Well, as long as we're in the pantry, couldn't you sort of pretend I was the pollinated? I'm afraid I'm a thoroughly realistic butler. You don't believe I'm in love with you, do you? Or is it that you don't care? You don't care that I'm unhappy all the time, that I cry when you walk in and out of rooms and don't look at me? Why, certainly I care. I want to go right out and buy you a teddy bear and a lollipop. A, te a teddy? Oh, God, Reed! You think I'm just a child? Hello, darling. <gasps> well, Eileen, what's the matter with you? He wants to talk about teddy bears! About what? What did Eileen say, Godfrey? Teddy bears. Answer me, Godfrey. What did you say to Irene to make her cry? I merely mentioned teddy bears, lollipops. Godfrey, you don't like me, do you? Not particularly, Miss Cornelian. <laughs> That's regrettable, because I like you very much. You're very handsome. I'm sorry, too. You are not going to take me in, you know. Take you in? Whatever do you mean? I knew a very beautiful woman once, a spitting image of you, as a matter of fact, and believe it or not, she once said almost the same thing to me that you just said. And that is why it's no good gazing up at me with those big blue eyes. I've been vaccinated, sister. In what way? The hard way. I married the lady. Married? Godfrey, you didn't tell us you were married. You never asked, and if you had, I would have told you it was none of your business. I'm not married now. You see, the lady wanted another man. Her kind always does, sooner or later. This whole conversation isn't very flattering to me. That, no, it is indeed. I'll make you eat those words before I'm through with you. I wouldn't bother trying. There's so many more susceptible men in the world. Now, uh, please excuse me. I must put the silver away. Oh, Godfrey, I could kill you. <laughs> place, Miss Irene. You know what I went around carrying all evening, Godfrey? Mm. I went around all evening carrying a torch, and everyone that saw me said, look at Irene Bullock carrying the torch for Godfrey. What do you think of that? I think you better go to bed. I don't want to go to bed. I want to sit here all night looking at you. I want to memorize your every expression. Gee, I've got a bag, haven't I? Here, take my arm. I'll help you upstairs. All right, Godfrey. I... Oh, oh thunderish. Oh, wouldn't you know she'd pass out? Now I'll have to carry her upstairs. Now then, Miss Bullock, right into the shower for you. Why, you little faker, you let me lug you up those stairs thinking you'd pass out. It was the only way I could get you to do it, Godfrey. Well, you didn't pass out at all. I haven't even had a drink. Irene, why do you do these things? What gets into you? Oh, Godfrey, you're so naive. Godfrey, what do I have to do to make you kiss me? If you'll excuse me, Miss Irene. No, I, I won't. Just... I won't excuse you. And if you won't kiss me, I'm going to stand right here and cry all night, and then I'll get sick and I'll go to the hospital and I'll die and you'll never see me again. Irene, people do not die because they don't get kissed. 
please, let's be logical about it. Oh, let's not be logical. There's nothing logical about love anyhow. Oh, Godfrey, you make me so miserable. Don't you think you could ever love me even a little? You are a sweet, charming woman, and I am very fond of you. Look, Godfrey, maybe it's a lot of fun for you to walk all over me. Maybe you get a kick out of it, but it isn't much fun for me. Irene, you, you are sweet, and if I seem uh, unresponsive, it's not so much that I am unresponsive as that I want you to get over feeling the way you say you do. Now, see, you should have someone young, Irene, young the way you are, full of eagerness and gaiety and fun and... I'm none of those things. I'm a guy who stuck his fingers in the fire once and got burned. Oh, I knew it was something like that. So you got burned once and now you're afraid of me. Yes, I'm afraid of you, and I'm also afraid of myself. You're afraid of falling in love with me. That's it. Now, Irene, please, let's not carry this any further. All right, you can run away if you want to. Go back to your pots and pans, hide away in your pantry, polish your old silver key if I can. But, Irene, now, this is no way to act. After all, you're a very pretty, very... Kind young woman, and this is, is not worthy of you. Oh, I'm sorry, Godfrey. It's just that I love you so terribly. Well, let's just uh, say no more about it, shall we, Irene? All right, Godfrey, all right. Uh, we'll say no more about it, but would you kiss me just this once? I'll never ask you to do it again. I promise. All right, my dear. Oh, that was a beautiful kiss, Godfrey. Mm-hmm. It got away from you a little, though, didn't it? it well, you little... What is it, Mrs. Bullock? What's wrong? My pearls are gone. Godfrey, someone stole my pearls. Oh, God. Well, madam, madam, control yourself, please. Uh, they're insured, aren't they? Why, yes, they, they are. I, I, I never thought of that. I, I just got upset when I saw the bedroom window was broken. I, I left the pearls on the dresser. I was going to wear them this evening. I'll call Mr. Bullock at once so he can notify the insurance firm. Godfrey, did you steal Mother's pearls? Of course not, Miss Irene. Well, I thought you might have. I've been sitting in the living room listening to those horrible insurance men asking all sorts of questions about you. They think you did it. Yeah, well, I didn't. Of course, it's perfectly all right with me if you did, you know. I'll stand by you. I'll wait at the prison gate. Irene, in heaven's name, will you get this through your head? I did not steal the pearls. Oh, Godfrey, shout at me some more. I've never seen you so furious before. Oh, you're so wonderful, Godfrey. I did not... Yes, Miss Irene. Thank you, Miss Irene. And now, if you'll excuse me, your father wants a brandy and soda. A brandy and soda? How did you know that was what I wanted, Godfrey? I thought it was what you needed, sir, with all your trouble and everything. What do you mean, my trouble? Well, sir, with the conditions as they are at the bank, it seems to me a great many people might suspect that you had, um, shall we say, um, hypothecated the necklace yourself. Of course, that would be a very silly thing to do. But you know how people are, sir. I should say that would be a very silly thing to do. Uh, You know, sir, if I had, uh, shall we say, uh, hypothecated uh, the pearls under those circumstances, I think I would return them pretty darn quickly, sir. The pearls will be put back, Godfrey. And thank you. Well, don't thank me, sir. Any stray cat that you took in out of the rain would give you the same sound advice, sir. You've been a good friend to us, Godfrey. How can I repay you? 
Well, you've already paid me, both in money and in happiness. Uh, now, uh, Mrs. Bullock will be needing you, sir. Uh, since you're in need of money, I, I think I can loan you enough to help you out at present, sir. You'd do that for us? Yes, sir. You don't seem surprised to hear me say that I can. I know who you are, Godfrey. I've known ever since the insurance men were here. They naturally had to look up everyone in the house. I didn't say anything to you because it was your secret and I respected it as such. Thank you, sir. <laughs> it does give you a funny feeling, though, to have one of the richest men in the country working for you as a butler. Why are you doing it, Godfrey? Oh, I don't know. When my wife walked out on me with another man, I lost interest in things, and then Irene came along, and I realized that I didn't want to be forgotten anymore. I just wanted to live a decent life and a satisfying one. I've been able to do that here. Uh, <clears throat> I really must get back to Mrs. Bullock, sir. I suppose you'll be leaving us now that we know your secret. Yes, sir. For one thing, you can't afford a butler anymore, and I can't afford to be one. I'm going back and live my life again. And this time... I'm going to make it a good life. Dinner is served, Mrs. Bullock. Thank you, Godfrey. Oh, how I shall miss hearing you say that after tonight. Thank you, Mrs. Bullock. Uh, I beg pardon. Do you know uh, where Miss Irene is? Oh, isn't she here in the house? No. Strange. I, I saw her a few minutes ago. She was walking about her room saying that she was... On a merry-go-round? Merry-go-round? She's so dramatic, you know. Godfrey? Hmm? Merry-go-round? Dinner is served, Mr. Bullock. I certainly am going to miss hearing you say that, Godfrey. Thank you, Mr. Bullock. Uh, <clears throat> have you seen Miss Irene? Irene? Well, she was here in the living room a couple of minutes ago, uh, mooning around and saying she'd been benched. Bench, baseball term, you know. Bench means removed from action, forgotten. <laughs> Funny girl. Always has been. Uh, benched. Dinner is served, Miss Cornelia. Please, Godfrey. It reminds me of all the wonderful nights you've said that. Thank you, Miss Cornelia. Uh, have you seen Miss Irene? She was standing out on the front step, looking up at the moon when I came in a moment ago. She asked if I thought there'd be a cloud tonight. Oh. Uh, if you don't mind, Miss Cornelia, it'll be a few minutes before dinner. Dinner is being served, Miss Irene. Godfrey, how did you find me here? Under a moon, on a bench, near the merry-go-round in Central Park. That was quite easy. But I haven't been here in years. Why did you come? I missed seeing you in the pantry today. I've outgrown that stuff. I missed you. I had something to tell you, and I particularly wanted to tell you in the pantry. Well, go back and say goodbye in the living room, Godfrey. It's a place to say goodbye to Mr. G. Hopkinson Park of Wall Street and Fifth Avenue. No, Irene, look at me. You really must excuse me. I'm sure Mother wants me. You said you loved me, Irene. Do you remember? No, I didn't. I told Godfrey I loved him. But you aren't Godfrey. I don't know what you mean. I think you do. Godfrey was a forgotten man. I was forgotten, too, because I had no one to love me in the way I wanted to be loved. We balanced each other, Godfrey and I. We made a lovely couple. I miss him very much. Good night, Mr. Park. No, Irene, wait a minute. 
Irene, there was a woman that I loved once, or I thought I did, who left me and almost destroyed me. And you found me where she left me and took me in. You gave me back courage and ideals and faith in people. Now, it's grown. Slowly, day by day. At first, I didn't recognize it. Then I wouldn't admit it. But now, I can't deny it. I love you, Irene. Well, Irene? I don't want your lousy money. I don't care two cents for your lousy money. Oh, well, all right. We won't touch it. We'll hire out as a couple. I'll be the butler and you can be the upstairs maid. You'll do that for me? I'll do anything for you. I'll live any way that you want to live. So long as it's you who's making the breakfast coffee and holding out your arms to me at night. Oh, Godfrey, this is so sudden. Yes, it's... Huh? That's not the proper thing to say at a time like this. Well, I'm saying that all my life I've planned just what I was going to say when the right man said the right thing, and whether it fits or not, I'm not going to be deprived of it. Besides, it is sudden. Oh, and what were you going to say after you said, darling, this is so sudden? Are you planned that, too? After that, I was going to say, yes. Oh, Godfrey, I can't believe you really love me. I'm sure I can convince you. Shall I try? Yes, please. Hmm? But let's go home and tell the family. I can't wait to go up to Cornelia and say, Cornelia, have you met my man, Godfrey? Come on, darling. For just a moment. As long as I am still a butler, uh, would you mind if I pretended that you uh, were the parlor maid? Just for a moment. CBS has brought you Romance, another of the great love stories of today and yesterday. Tonight's adaptation of Eric Hatch's My Man Godfrey was written especially for Romance by Gene Holloway. Godfrey was played by Carl Swenson and Irene by Linda Watkins. The music was composed and conducted by Alfredo Antonini, and the production was directed by Albert Ward. <laughs> final program on the current romance series. Next week and in the weeks to come, CBS's great comedy show, My Friend Irma, will be heard at this time over many of these stations. If you haven't already, make friends with My Friend Irma next week. Now, once again, here's Carl Swenson, our man Godfrey of a few minutes ago. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, tonight we had a few words to say about the forgotten man. And I'd like to point out that there's another fellow that you meet every day who's apt to be the forgotten man. Now, here's the fellow who's driving the other car. 33,000 deaths from automobile accidents shocked our nation last year. Now, some of the time it takes only one to make an accident, but lots of times it takes two. Please play it safe when you pass another car, when you come to an intersection, when you drive at night. Thank you. Good night. <laughs> This is Sandy Becker for CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System.